everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to talk about Red White in Neon Dynasty. As always, I should mention, if you want to follow along, the notes are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. So, the elephant in the room with Red White is it has the lowest win rate of all color pairs in Neon Dynasty at 53.6 on 17 lands, which is 0.8% lower than the second lowest and 3% lower than the average win rate for two color decks. So this color pair does not perform well. Often, when a color pair is this bad, my advice is to try not to draft it. I don't feel that way. I think that red-white in this set is in a similar position or situation or whatever to green-white in Crimson Vow, uh, which was the set that had the training mechanic, where the training mechanic was just like overcosted, and the cards that had the word training on them were generally not good. Red-white has a similar situation where the color pair's like stated theme is this samurai warrior attack with one creature thing, and the cards that have that text are overwhelmingly bad. So it's this a similar situation where if you draft the color combination in the right way, you can do a lot better than the average win rate for the color pair because the average is brought down so much by players who try to do what the color pair tells you to do. Incidentally, I don't think that's those players' fault. I think that this is a shortcoming of Neon Dynasty's design. I think that having archetypes that like punish players for doing what they say they're supposed to be doing leads to a worse product. But overall, this set's still pretty good. This is just a minor blemish. And for, you know, plugged in competitive drafters who are trying to figure out how best to draft the set, uh, you can avoid this trap by not touching those cards. While there's a similar, you know, meta structure thing going on here with red white in this set and green white in Crimson Vow, the way it plays out is actually quite different. In green white and Crimson Vow, the training mechanic isn't good, but the direction that it pushes you in, which is to play aggressive creatures and combat tricks, does work pretty well for the archetype, and I think was the best way to draft a straight green-white deck. That is very much not the case in Neon Dynasty, where the way that you should draft a red-white deck that's based on the Samurais is just like a completely different like strategic archetype from the way that you should draft a good red-white deck. And the result is that none of the, like, if you look at the stats about which cards perform well, I think that they're very misleading. You see that, like, Iganjo Exemplar does relatively well compared to other red and white commons in red-white, because if you have a, like, samurai deck that's based around effects like a Ganjo Exemplar, a Ganjo Exemplar being the two-mana, two-one enchantment samurai that uh, gives a creature plus one plus, a uh, samurai or warrior plus one plus one when it attacks alone. If your deck is drafted around that, then it'll be a relatively good card in your deck. But it still has a win rate that is around 53%. So if you draft your deck around this, then one of the better cards in your deck 
use 53% and your deck is bad. But like that card is still like the other cards in your deck are worse because you've just like tried to do this thing that you shouldn't have been trying to do. So this is an archetype that I have ignored the stats on because the stats tell you which cards perform best when you're drafting the deck wrong. And I don't care which cards are best when you draft the deck wrong. I care about how to draft the deck correctly and which cards are best when you're doing that. So what do I think is the correct way to draft the deck, if not the samurai stuff, and if you're just ignoring all the cards they tell you to play? I believe the correct way to draft red-white is as an attrition deck, which is basically a specific kind of control deck. And the key to an attrition deck is having cards that give you some kind of card advantage and cards that allow you to efficiently and reliably exchange resources on a one-to-one basis for your opponent. In this case, that basically just means cheap and or versatile removal. And then the cards that give you some kind of card advantage are Experimental Synthesizer, the one red mana artifact that uh, exiles the top card of your library and you can play it and you can spend three mana and make a samurai token and exile. And then when it leaves play, you exile another card and you can play it. And Spirited Companion, the two mana one one that enchantment creature that draws a card. And then most importantly, Imperial Oath, the six mana sorcery that makes three two two Vigilant Samurais and scries three. So the basis of your deck is basically just like those cards and removal. And red and white have a lot of efficient, powerful removal spells. So that's like the commons that you're looking for that are removal spells. Voltage Surge and Kami's Flare are both uh, really good, cheap red removal. Voltage Surge is good if you play experimental synthesizers and like Iron Apprentices or, you know, whatever. You want, you want to have some artifacts that are relatively expendable that you can sacrifice to get four damage when you want it. That's the one red, two damage. If you sack an artifact, four damage instant. And then Kami's Flare is one in a red, uh, three damage to a creature. Uh, you have a modified creature. Their controller also takes two. And then in white, you have Wanderer's Intervention, which is uh, two mana instant, four to an attacker blocker. Intercessor's Arrest, which is the three mana aura that uh, stops a permanent from attacking or blocking or crewing vehicles or using its activated abilities. Repel the Vile is the four mana instant that exiles a creature with power four or greater or an enchantment. So you have all that removal. And then, uh, you know, your cheap card advantage or, you know, in in terms of like you have uh, the Synthesizer and the Spirited Companion. You can also have Era of Enlightenment, which is the saga that scries two, gains two, makes a 2-2 first striker to improve your draws. Papercraft Decoy is kind of the like budget Spirited Companion. Two mana, two one artifact creature. When it dies, you can spend two mana and draw a card. You know, the hope there is that you trade it off and you go up a card. And then I'm a big fan of Network Terminal in this deck because uh, when you're making a bunch of one-for-one -one exchanges to prolong a game, it's really good to have some kind of card filtering so that your opponent floods out rather than you flooding out. And then you have the last remaining relevant objects. Also, Network Terminal helps you cast Imperial Oath ahead of time, which is good to do. The basis of the deck is that it's just control, kill their stuff, build up minor card advantage, make your land drops because you're like drawing these cards, and then just play Imperial Oath. And I think that like red-white decks basically want literally as many Imperial Oaths as you can get your hands on. Like I'm not sure that it would be bad to put your sixth Imperial Oath in the deck. In general, you will not have six Imperial Oaths. And in general, the trick, as it were, to red-white is that you want to play a low land count. Despite the fact that you want six drops in your deck, 
you don't want very many lands. And that's because you don't really care if you can play your Imperial Oath on turn six. You care if you can not die until you cast Imperial Oath. And if you just stick on three mana and just spend all of your turns casting removal spells, then it's very hard for your opponent to kill you. And then you reach a point in the game where eventually you'll draw your lands. And then when you do, you'll play Imperial Oath. And as long as all of your non-Imperial Oath cards cost one, two, and three mana, then you can just hang out at one, two, and three mana indefinitely. And then like all of your draws are good because everything is like either an Imperial Oath, which is your miss, or an interactive card or a land to get you closer to Imperial Oath. And then ideally you won't miss land drops for too long because you have these cheap cards that dig deeper, like Spirited Companions and the Synthesizers, so that you're not actually missing very many land drops, you're just not flooding badly. So that's what I think Red White is up to. Uh, I think it's really simple. I think you want to choose, among commons, you're just looking for Imperial Oath, card advantage creature, like those cheap card advantage cards, and removal. And then after that, you're looking for like, Defensive creatures like Golden Tail Disciple, Searchlight Companion, uh, Iron Apprentice might not sound like a defensive creature, but your opponent really doesn't want to attack into it with an X1 and generally doesn't want to trade off with it because you get the plus one plus one counter value somewhere else. It also plays well with Voltage Surge, plays well with Kami's Flare, plays well with Network Terminal just because it gives you an artifact to use to activate the terminal. And then I like reconfigure creatures in general, Simeon Sling being the most relevant common there so that all of your like 2-2 Vigilance tokens and your Golden Tail Disciples can get equipped so that they can trade up so you're getting more value out of all that. And then getting more value out of your like little creatures is really important in an attrition game because it just means that like, you know, in a small game, any little bit of extra value that you can give to your objects helps you just grind out your opponent that much better. So that's what's going on at Common. At Uncommon, you're looking for more of the same, just any sort of two-for-one kind of like grindy card. So the two-three reach red creature that does two damage when it enters the battlefield, the Slinger or whatever, that card is super premium, absolutely great. Twashi Guidebot, the four mana two-one that puts a plus one plus one counter on something and then tap four minus number of modified creatures and draw a card. That's a great attrition card. The name of the game is Patience. Don't think about how you're going to kill your opponent. Just think about how you're going to stay alive until you cast Imperial Oath. And then because you've killed your opponent's flyers and big creatures and stuff with your removal spells, the Oath is how you're going to win the game. And it's that simple. If you have multiple Intercessor's Arrests, then you can look for the Shrine Steward to find the Arrests. Or if you have like one Arrest and one uh, White Shrine, that would also work. The only red commons you actively want are Voltage Surge, Synthesizer, and Kami's Flare, which is not a lot of different cards. Simeon Sling is, you know, happy, like, happy to play it. It's fine. And then, like, Kami of Industry, Iron Hoof Boar, and Tawashi Song Shaper are, like, the not embarrassing playables. And then the rest of the stuff, I'm not really, like, I'm trying not to play the other red commons. Both red and white have, like, just tons and tons of bad cards that you really don't want in your deck. So... The pool of playables for you is not very big. Fortunately, everyone knows red-white is bad and people are trying to stay out of it. Unfortunately, 
because the red white gold cards and the dedicated stuff for the red white deck are all garbage you're just looking for premium red commons and premium white commons which means you don't care if there's one other red white drafter what you care about is whether both red and white are individually not very contested at the table so I've talked about this before, that in archetypes that really rely on the gold cards and the dedicated cards to that archetype, all you care about is, is someone else in this pair? This is the opposite situation where, you know, if I know that one other person is red-white, but nobody else is red or white, that's ideal, especially because there's a good chance that the other player who's in red-white is taking all the cards that I actively don't want. Like they're taking those red and white samurais that I, I don't want in my deck. And so we're going to cooperate really well. And the rest of the table is going to cooperate really well with me. I think as long as you're at a table where red and white are each open, red, white as a control deck is a really good archetype. The problem is that there's, you know, there are just so few different commons that are really premium that it, it's a problem if your best cards are contested. But again, both colors, it's not hard to find tables where these cards are available. The other really important note is because you want Network Terminal anyway, and because you have a bunch of Scry, and you're trying to play a long game, this is an archetype that's great at splashing. My personal preference is to splash black, which gives you additional removal and also gives you Kami of Terrible Secrets, which you're really good at enabling. Like you want to play colorless artifacts and red artifacts and white enchantments and just any saga you get in those three colors and stuff. And so it's generally pretty easy to turn on Kami of Terrible Secrets. And Kami of Terrible Secrets is really just amazing in any deck where it's active, but particularly good if you're playing an attrition deck. And if you're doing like Simeon Slings and Iron Apprentices, then lethal two mana black removal spell that gives something minus two minus two plus one plus one for modified creature is like actually a good card for your deck that's looking for more removal spells and lethal exploit that's looking for more removal spells and able to use that for more than minus two minus two. So I think that black splashes really well into red white. And when that happens, you know, just depending on how the table, like what, which colors people are drafting, you might end up shifting into red, black, splash, imperial oath, or black, white, splash, some random red removal or whatever. But it doesn't really matter what your distribution of colors is in that deck. You can just kind of exist in like a Mardu attrition space and just like pivot pretty seamlessly into you know, having a base that's whichever of those two colors is most open. If you don't see anything in the third color, you can, you know, potentially decide to let go of a card or whatever and become a two-color deck. doesn't really matter. That's it. It's it's really, really simple. My, my advice is really just, like, don't play a single one of those Samurais that says something about attacking alone unless you have the actual rare Rayu. And if you have that, probably still don't play any of the others, but it might be worth picking up, like, basically, if you start getting those, like, samurai things really, really late, picking them up for free, don't take them over any of the cards that are good in a control deck, but if you have, like, the rare that wants you to go down this path, and you start getting some really cheap Iganjo exemplars and stuff, and you end up, like, 
playing the, the deck that's like, it's possible to pivot into like actually caring about that stuff. If you actually care about that stuff, then I would say that you should really prioritize Moth Rider Patrol, especially if you have the red and white uncommon legends that return things from your graveyard when you attack alone with the uh, Samurai or Warrior, because that's the easiest way to get immediate value out of playing one of those guys without throwing away a creature. And I, I think that, you know, th there's a world where you reach critical mass of Samurais and you do the Samurai thing and you want Moth Rider Patrol if you're doing the thing. But you should never take any of that samurai stuff over any of the good control stuff. You shouldn't try to do the samurai thing. You should try to do the control thing. And if it all just happens to be there, it might, you know, you might find a spot where it's right to be, you know, like doing the solo attacker thing. But it really needs to be free. It needs to just come together like naturally and accidentally. You shouldn't prioritize it. And I'm still not even sure. That it, I, I don't think it's like better than a good version of like the control deck, but there you have it. I think that's it. I, th I think those are my suggestions for how to draft this archetype. So Twitch chat, hit me with any questions you have about any of that. Any contradictory experiences you'd like to regale me with, your tales of your very successful samurai decks or whatever. While I'm waiting for anyone in Twitch to hit me with any extra questions, I do want to thank my newest patron, Carl. Thanks for the support. Anyone else who's interested in uh, supporting drafting archetypes, check out the benefits we offer. The newest addition to our roster of benefits is discounted coaching from me, larger discounts at every uh, tier of Patreon rewards, I think all of those are net positive if you want just a single coaching session. So um, if you're interested in getting a little deeper into studying your limited game with me, definitely check that out. All right, add uh, as it were over, let's get to some questions. Neither the Yamazaki's worth it nutrition game. If not, are they good in any deck? So the problem is I think, so this is about the uncommon legends. I think that both of them are really bad if your goal is to like play them and then try to attack with them to get value out of them. And so you need to be able to like play them and attack with something to get value immediately. And the problem is that you don't want to be drafting the cheap samurai that let you get immediate value out of them. And so by themselves, they're bad, which is why like if you have Ryu so that you want extra samurai, then you can like take those guys and then also exemplars and then most importantly moth rider patrols so that your moth rider patrol is getting immediate value from the samurais that you play up the curve so that they're like doing something immediately without throwing a creature away but i don't think that you should like take one of those uncommon guys and then start looking for moth riders to enable it because i don't think moth rider is actually very good if you don't have the samurai and the samurai aren't good if you don't have the moth rider patrol and that's why it all needs to kind of just like come together accidentally and for free if like all of that stuff is good to pick up over the other unplayable red and white cards where you're not planning to play it but if you like you know just accidentally end up with critical mass of it you can but it shouldn't be part of your strategy while drafting but it can kind of like be a discovered strategy that just emerges due to like the way that the chaff flows to you 
And then I think that they can be worth it in certain decks. I just don't think that you should ever prioritize them. Next question, given that the stats are muddled by people playing a very distinctive bad deck, is it worth extrapolating for red and white cards that do most better overall than they do in the archetype? The problem is that like the thing that you want to do in red-white is unique and has unique demands such that like the cards don't compare that well it, it, just in general. I did try looking at, you know, like, okay, Obviously, I don't want the red-white thing, so let's just look at the cards that are individually successful in red and white in general. And then I also considered, well, I'm trying to play an attrition game, so what if I look at the cards that are best um, in, like, that have the best, like, game-drawn stat, so the best outside of your opening hand? And I think that both of those are better than looking at just, like, the most effective cards in red-white, like, the best game-in-hand win rate cards in red-white. But ultimately, I don't think that either is particularly useful uh, because the like the incentives and archetype are just unique enough that I didn't feel like either were going to like contribute anything more to my understanding than I already have from having played with some red white and just like thought about how the deck is gonna like come together. If I recall correctly, attrition decks want bombs or some other way to ensure staying alive means winning the game. In my opinion, a lot of red and red plus white rares award aggression. Due to this, should red, white, and neo be played differently? Is it weak compared to other attrition color pairs? So basically, Imperial Oath is uniquely positioned here such that I think that it actually like works as a common to offer you inevitability if the rest of your deck has a lot of removal so that those samurais are in a position to be able to attack. There are, you know, red and white rares that are really good. And, you know, if you get those, they do make your deck a lot better. The like really aggressive ones, I mean, if you're talking about like, for example, the uh, reconfigure cards, I think those play really well in the slower attrition strategy because you have a lot of mana in a really long game to reconfigure them. And I, th I think that those are like might look like aggressive cards, but they they actually play best in, in attrition strategies. And, you know, I, I mean, even Lizard Blades, but definitely like the Ogre Helm and stuff like that. So I actually think that while this color pair needs the best commons, I think it actually works really well at common. I think that maybe more than most other color pairs, this archetype doesn't need rares and uncommons, though obviously there are some that it can use really well and there are some really powerful rares and uncommons and you want those cards. But I think that like if you can build your deck out of just like all the best commons that are open, uh, you can have a, like a good deck. And that again, that's mostly just due to how unusual of a card Imperial Oath is. How far would you go to splash Ishin in a Samurai Red-White deck? I assume that that's the Mardu Samurai. I have no idea because I have never, like, it's so unlikely that I would try to be a samurai deck to begin with. And if I were, I would probably be aggressive enough that I'm not trying to splash. But, like, if everything just happens to line up right where I was prioritizing fixing and got a bunch of fixing and then got, like, a bunch of really, really powerful samurais and then also got that thing, maybe I'd play it. But, like, you shouldn't be trying to do any part of that. Like, you, you should not... You should not take the Mardu guy and try to play with it unless for some reason it's basically free and you have a specific reason to be good to believe it would be good in your deck. 
All right, it's a little off topic, but I'll cover this question. How much is a coaching session and what does the session include in uh, some short detail? A coaching session is a base rate of $100 an hour for a private session, $75 to stream the session. And then both of those numbers are before discounts available on Patreon. And what it includes varies a lot from player to player based on what you're looking to learn and work on. For people who are trying to improve at limited gameplay, I generally recommend reviewing uh, 17 lands gameplay logs. For people who are looking to work on their like actual drafting, it really depends on how people learn best. Sometimes we go over drafts they've done. Sometimes we'll do drafts live. Sometimes we'll talk theory or whatever. Um, I'm very flexible about how I approach things and can work with a particular player on my suggestions based on their like goals and where they're at. Just trophied today with a red-white deck that more or less aligns with what I said with the addition of two splashed anvils and a bit more of an artifact theme. Yeah, that makes total sense. Anvil's a very reasonable card to splash. It's in line with, and it's, you know, a good attrition card that is in line with the idea that this deck splashes well. Do I think Bronze Cudgel is good in Red-White Samurais? No, I don't think Bronze Cudgel is a good card in any deck, and I don't think that Red-White should be thinking along those lines. If you start drafting this deck and don't get any oaths, what do you do? It's a pretty good question. Partially it depends on why you started drafting the deck and what you started with. I suppose, you know, if you're getting late and you don't have any oaths, and you also don't have, like, good, you know, like bomb type rares and mythics, then you should probably be, I mean, I think you should probably be looking to, you know, pivot out, take advantage of the fact that your infrastructure splashes well and look to like improve your late game by, you know, like going into another color for like more powerful cards because you don't really want to play the expensive red and white cards. Like if you're, you know, in a spot where you have to try to like, play a control game and then close out with Iron Hoof Boar, it's a tough spot to be in. You could potentially try to shift more aggressive. Like you're going to have to pivot somewhere, which means just based on what's going on in the draft, you're either pivoting aggro and looking for Moth Rider patrols and maybe even the Moth Saga, defending the Moths and some Samurais and just hoping to get it done or splashing some, you know, other like higher impact cards. But yeah, it, it is dangerous to commit to this strategy if you don't see an oath early, for sure. Next question. I kind of want to see this in practice. Do I have any 17 lands data from drafting this archetype I'd be willing to share? So I've posted on YouTube a few videos of playing a red-white attrition deck that where the draft went really well that I 7-0'd with. There will be a link to the draft on the YouTube. Like, when this podcast goes on YouTube... There, I will also be putting the draft from that draft on my personal YouTube, and that'll be linked uh, there. For anyone who listens to this podcast on my stream or on uh, in a podcast form rather than on YouTube, recently, like with this set, uh, I've started my own YouTube channel. And for each of the podcasts, I've tried to find an example draft to link to from the podcast's YouTube. So if you do want to see any of these like drafts as I navigate them, be sure to uh, check out that YouTube. Either you can just go to youtube.com slash drafting archetypes to find the episode that you want. And then there, there will be a link to the relevant draft from my stream. 
um, if you want to check that out. Next up, this is more of a general question. Do I think the format's at a point where you're looking for a reason not to splash rather than a reason to splash? My personal approach to the format has been to assume that I'm splashing, but I think that the format can be drafted aggressively, and if you are drafting it aggressively, you should assume that you're not splashing, but I prefer to draft the format a little bit more of a controlling or attrition uh, strategy that generally splashes well. Next question, how does the matchup against green value decks look? I feel like they'll overvalue red-white late game with cards like Behold, Prancer, Turtle, Growth, and more powerful rares. Yeah, I mean, if they have like more and better rares and uncommons than you do, that might be a problem. They don't always have more and better rares and uncommons than you do. You can go over the top of a lot of that stuff with some of the you know more powerful white rares like Farewell or Rebirth. And, you know, sometimes you just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, I have not, like, I don't think red, red and white are that good. I think you should only be it when it's very open. So I haven't drafted this a lot. It's just felt powerful when I have drafted it. And I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just don't have a lot of data to speak to in terms of, like, how this would play against a hypothetical deck. Short, simple episode and archetype. I, I think that this one really is very straightforward, again, because I just don't think that there are that many... Uh, different commons or different ways that you want to approach it. I, I really do think that this is an archetype where there's like a default right way to play it. And then I think that there is like a backdoor into a samurai deck that, you know, again, proceed with caution if you're doing it, only do it if you basically don't have to spend picks to enable it. That's my best advice on how to approach the samurai archetype. And I, uh, you know, still feel that it's largely, as some people have joked about red-white, don't. But I don't think that that's true of red-white. I think that if you can draft red-white as an attrition deck and it's open enough that you're getting a lot of the premium commons, I think it's pretty powerful. This episode has been recorded early because I'm going out of town. I will not be uh, streaming this coming week. And uh, my return date is actually slightly in flux now. I will uh, record the next episode of this whenever I'm next able to. That uh, will be some amount later in the week than usual. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but the following episode will be recorded at the normal Wednesday time two weeks from tomorrow. And there will be another episode for next week sometime before that. Pay attention to my Twitter or Discord to find out exactly when that next episode will be recorded. Thanks as always for listening and support, and I will be back at an unknown time to discuss an unknown archetype for the next episode. Thanks again, and goodbye.